first church I served in Charlotte at Trinity Presbyterian had carved into the front of the pulpit a relief of a boat being tossed about by a stormy sea under which the word orkoimene was written, which means household of God. It is the root of the word economics, by the way, orkoimene, household of God. And the symbol was that the church is this boat or ship on the stormy seas of life that provides for its members a sanctuary, a safe place, even as the storm rages on the outside. In fact, one of the earliest phrases for the church was that the church is like Noah's Ark. If it weren't for the storm on the outside, you couldn't stand the smell on the inside. And if you look up at the architecture of the church, you will see that it is built intentionally like the nave of a ship with the crosses as the nave as symbol of the fact that here we sit in this safe abode called church. The church against a stormy sea, against the dark abyss, goes back to the primeval mists dating back to Babylon, when in that first myth of Enuma Elish, the god Marduk fights against the god Tiamat, which means the sea, and the god Marduk wins because in primeval mythology, the sea is that dark, scary abyss where monsters lurk, where chaos rages. In fact, the creation story builds on that myth in Genesis when God looks down before creation and sees the to whom this mighty sea, this tempest, it completely out of control, a giant cosmic hurricane in this watered chaos. And from that point, God then speaks order into it by what? First, bringing light into the darkness and dividing that darkness into two parts. Half of it, the first part of the day, the second half, the second part, the second part was light. From darkness to light, God begins God's ordering of the stormy seas of chaos. The Psalms are so full of the verses of God bringing stillness against those stormy seas that it is like a constant refrain. Over 60 times a verse mentions it or like our verse this morning for our call to worship, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, that's the the whom, the chaos, the watery abyss, we are not afraid. Maybe that's why the phrase and refrain, do not be afraid, be not afraid, occurs over a hundred times in the Old Testament and over 40 times in the New Testament. And in every single place, it occurs at a major transition junction when the disciples or the people of God are, in fact, deeply afraid. First words out of the angel's mouth 
to Mary to announce that she was with child, be not afraid. First words out of the angels' mouths to the women at the empty tomb at Easter, be not afraid. Why? Why so often be not afraid? Because there was plenty to be afraid of. The Bible moves from this creation narrative of chaos, the stormy seas of chaos, all through this narrative text till it comes to the end in that symbolic, not literal, but symbolic book of Revelation where the seven-headed dragon comes out of those stormy seas symbolically again. And in the end, in the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, the words are said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Shh! Be still, Jesus said. This image of the church as a boat against the storm comes from Mark because Mark understood what deep threat they were under. And we too. This Roman rogue empire swept across the land and annihilated everything in its way. Just as this rogue evil of racism and darkness continues to try to sweep across our land, annihilating everything in its way that doesn't meet its standards. The disciples themselves knew about the stormy seas of chaos. The first four that Jesus called were fishermen for good reason. He knew that they understood what fear was all about. Every time they went out to do their work, they didn't know if they would come back because the sea again was that great threat. We navigate with GPS systems before that, a sextant in relationship to the stars before that compass. But in Jesus' day, all they had was land to go by and at night, the stars. But in the midst of a storm, when there is no light and land cannot be discerned, you are completely lost at the mercy of the wind. And Jesus sent them out in it, at least into the night, the darkness of the night, where even more monsters come out, into the sea where the sea monsters come out. And not only that, Jesus sends them across to the other side, that strange, fearful place where weird people lived who were not circumcised and who ate ham and who had pigs for pets and who did all kinds of things that were evil and dark and bad according to the Jewish fishermen. Jesus sends them out at night in a boat with a storm to the other side and goes to sleep. The storm swept up and Jesus goes to sleep. Asleep in the stern where the helm is, where the, where the driver of the boat is, where the one leading the boat is, Jesus goes to sleep taking a nap. Sometimes it seems that way, as Bill said, that Jesus 
has just gone to sleep on us. There's a passage in the Psalms, Psalm 44, that screams at God, rouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake, do not cast us off forever. Rise up and come to our help. Yet sometimes it seems that God has narcolepsy asleep in the stern. Got a text yesterday from a friend in Charlotte who's been struggling with a cancer of a blood disorder, and they have arrested the blood cancer, but unfortunately it has set his immune system so that it is now completely overreacting and turning back on him. And so he now struggles to stay alive. And his text was, I am absolutely terrified. Of course he is. And then he said to me, where is God? I was teaching a men's Bible class in that same church I started in in Charlotte. And this text from Mark came up as our passage And as I read it and then began to teach it, I noticed that one man was deeply moved. Tears were coming down his face, and so I asked him what this was about. He shared that not too many years passed while sailing in a regatta on Lake Norman, a giant wind came from almost nowhere and capsized all of the uh, sailboats on the lake. His went down just like a, a piece of lead, completely flipping everyone out because it was so fast they didn't have their life vests on two people died in the boat next to theirs and he held on to the submerged vessel for dear life and he said there while being ravaged by the abyss of this storm all I could do was to reclaim this story I remembered since childhood about Jesus in the boat who finally wakes up and says shh be still And it brought me incredible peace, he said. Tears still dreaming, uh, coming down his cheeks. And he couldn't get that out any sooner than the man sitting next to him, tears coming out of his eyes, shared that while in the Pacific in World War II, his destroyer was sunk, and he watched many of his shipmates drown at great peril to everyone there himself he held on to something that would float and remembered this story too and how Jesus had calmed the storm and felt in some strange way the peace and comfort of Christ's presence as soon as he got that out another man shared tears streaming down his face about when he was a child in a ferry on a giant river Uh, another storm came up and and the ferry was at great risk. It was losing control and his elder brother, who was the coolest man he'd ever known, never lost his cool, all of a sudden became hysterical. And the man telling the story said, and then I remembered my childhood story of Jesus in the boat calming the storm and it brought me peace. Then a fourth man asked to speak. And he said, my wife died of a heart attack completely unexpectedly. And three months later, my daughter was killed in a car accident. And I have to tell you, I didn't feel the peace and comfort of Christ in my boat 
at least at first. What I felt mostly was that Christ had gone asleep. And I couldn't find him. I couldn't wake him. I couldn't rouse him. I felt almost completely abandoned. But I am here in this church to tell you that I was not abandoned. I just felt like I was looking back as I have gotten distance from that time. I have seen, in fact, that the presence of Christ was with me each and every day, getting me through that day into the next day, with me in my grief, even with me in bringing hope for a future after a long time. And so this passage for me, he said, is just as important. We know about the storms of chaos. On Thursday morning, we waked to hear that the chaotic sea of evil had swept over Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, and we were sickened by the darkness of it. We asked, how could a young man sit in church praying with those folk, wanting all the while only to kill them? What premeditated evil must have been lurking there, what contempt and hatred, what swell of chaos must have overcome him with that white supremacist racist propaganda that feeds those who are prone to listen. He was a rogue wave of evil. You have to ask, where was Jesus in that sanctuary, where was Jesus in that boat? Asleep. Why didn't he stand up there and say, shh, be still to that man? Why? Emmanuel, which means ironically God with us. Where was he? And while this may sound like an easy cop-out to you, I can bet my life on it that it's not. Where he was is where he always is. Has been ever since he was crucified, the hands of those same evil swells of sea chaos. Has been ever since he was raised up out of his sleep of death, by the hands of a God who orders all things. He was in and through those people, these people who claim to find refuge and strength in his love and in his presence. That's where he is. The crucified, resurrected Christ present in the church even as it is being overwhelmed by the waves of darkness and fear, still present with us now. In you and me, in our hands and our feet, in our hearts and our brains, in our need for justice and righteousness. 
those people at Emmanuel know about the storms of chaos. For 199 years, they have been the black landmark in the birthplace of slavery. They formed in order to offer refuge from the storms of that slavery. They know about the dark storms of chaos. That church was burned to the ground. It was forced underground. It was destroyed by an earthquake. They know about the dark chaos. It was demolished by a hurricane. They know about the dark storms of chaos. And every single time, that church stayed afloat as it will still Not this act of evil, not this chaos of racism in hopes of sinking them for good. No way. Jesus is there. Jesus is there. William Dudley Gregory, a Charleston City Councilman and trustee of Emmanuel AME Church, spoke as Jesus on Thursday saying, the congregation will recover in the manner it has always done. Bury the dead, start the healing process, continue to pray. And you ready for this? Forgive. Forgive so that we can cleanse, move forward and make sure that Mother Emmanuel continues to be a lifeline for African Americans in the city of Charleston, in the state, and in our country. A lifeline? This struggling boat of a church about to be swamped by the powers of chaos, a lifeline? Of course. Because Jesus is there. And strengthened by Jesus They will not go into the abyss. The chaotic sea of darkness and evil will not overcome them. They are, in fact, a lifeline to all of us. Until then, we sing. What else can we do? We sing the mighty power of God or the song that a young Martin Luther sang when he was being threatened by death, hovering in a dark, dank Uh, basement of a castle he sang and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us the prince of darkness grim His truth to triumph through us. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail.